Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Pastor Eric Capelli. Now, without further ado, we're going to get to the Word of God this morning. And are you ready? The last sermon of the new series. And we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is the New Jerusalem. And there's a method to God's madness in it, and the reason why I wanted to place this one on Vision Sunday. Um, in years prior for Vision Sunday, what we did is we produced this very large you know, pamphlet for all of you guys. And then every single minister in ministry, we would talk about the different aspects of our ministry. It's a lot of information. And it's too much information, not only for you guys, but also for us. And we said to ourselves for this year, what are the three main things that we want to focus on? And why do we want to focus on those things? And we began to ask ourselves a question of, um, not that we want to be different than every other church. That's not our objective. Our objective is to always be a biblically-based church. And so in order to do that, it means that sometimes we need to separate ourselves from the trends and things that are going on in churches around us. And to be honest, most of my ministry life, I have not paid attention purposefully. I don't care what another church is doing. I don't care what another pastor or minister or what the hype or trend is. Why? Because throughout my lifetime as a Christian, I have seen trend after trend and hype after hype after hype. And in all honesty, it did nothing for me. None of that brought me closer to Jesus. None of that developed my spiritual life. But what did was being a biblically-based Christian. That is what has brought about the biggest change in my life. And so as the staff and I have been sitting together, we realized we are not on this race to formalize a vision of who we need to be right now in 2024. That's just where the Lord has us in this moment. And we began to ask ourselves the question, not only where does Bethel need to be, but we asked ourselves the question, where does Bethel need to be in light of the scripture? That is the bigger question. And so today, as I talk about the new Jerusalem, I want to use aspects of what the scripture is teaching us as a model for who we need to be, not only for the coming year, but really to fit into God's eternal plan. And I think that oftentimes we make that mistake as believers. We treat eternity as something that's over there. We're in it. We are in eternity right now. If the life-giving power of God is in you, you are in eternity. From the moment that the Spirit has breathed life into you, also whether you believe or not, you are in eternity. All right, Pastor, I'm looking at you strange now. The Word of God has already said, I have put eternity in their hearts. We are not waiting only for what is to come. We live right now in the reality of the waves of eternity that are part of the life that is coming. And we will see it in fullness. Right now, we are only in part, but we will see it in all of its fullness. In order to understand the new Jerusalem and everything that it offers and the lessons that we can learn, we also need to understand Babylon. 
And those two things need to be juxtaposed next to one another. Because Babylon represents the world's system. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about Babylon. In the writings of Peter in the New Testament, he talks about the saints of God being in exile in Babylon. Babylon is not the literal Babylon anymore, but Babylon is the symbolic aspect of the world system that is under the domain and control of the devil. And you and I, we live in that system right now. You and I have the waves of eternity in the new Jerusalem, but we live in Babylon still. And guess what? Even though you and I live in Babylon, we can still thrive. Even though you and I live in Babylon and we're waiting for Jesus, we can be in the world but not of it. Meaning that we can be the voice that speaks. We can be the people of God offering the prophetic message of hope to those that are enslaved by its system. The world system, as I just said, is under the influence of the Antichrist. And though he is not physically present yet, the scripture reminds us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already permeating the world and its systems. We should not be surprised. I think that that kind of makes it very comical for me as a Christian, like growing up. Everyone is worried about the devil behind every bush and every tree. Guess what? Since the fall, he has been actively present in the destruction of God's system. However, for those that have learned throughout history to call upon the name of the Lord, we have always been able to overcome. We will overcome. We have overcome. There is nothing new under the sun. And what Revelation presents to us is not a new baffling reality, but it is the continuation and the full manifestation of God's plan of deliverance. See, Babylon and Revelation is contrasted with the eternal city of God, the new Jerusalem. And humanity has always had this longing to build towers up to the sky. But God's city comes down to us, wrapped like a present, a spotless bride descending from heaven onto the new earth. Humanity's attempts are feeble. We know from the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel, they said, let us build a tower. Let us ascend into heaven. And I think that that is one of the biggest dangers, not only of society, but it is one of the biggest dangers of the church. Let us, was the cry of the people. Let us. But thousands of years after, on the day of Pentecost, it was not let us was the cry of the people. It was the cry of the Trinity. Let us send the Holy Spirit. Let us send heaven down to earth. Let heaven's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That became the cry of the Father. That became his plan. We are no longer people that need to build towers with aspire, to aspire to greatness. But God has brought heaven down to us. Recently, I've seen developments take place 
Even in Dubai, one of the largest, or the largest tower right now is the Burj Khalifa. Largest tower, and they build these special pieces onto it to make it even higher. And that was a great achievement. And people travel from all over the world to see this tower. We're still idiots, by the way. <laughs> to see this tower. We love going and paying money in New York to go and stand up in a tower. A tower made of bricks, made of steel. But we saw in 9-11 how quickly those towers made by man can crumble. We see how quickly how God can bring what we think is a secure economy to its knees. We see in light of world developments how quickly peace can change to war. Let us not be distracted. Jesus said, in this world you will know many troubles, but do not fear or be dismayed, for I have overcome the world. That is the secret to every overcomer. And that is why Revelation resounds and resounds and resounds again. To them that overcome, I will give. To them that overcome, I will give them the right to sit on my Father's throne. To them that overcome, I will give them access to the tree of life. To them that overcome, I will give them the crown of life. To them that overcome, they will be able to enter without spot or wrinkle into the new Jerusalem. To them that overcome, their name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a defeatist. I have not become a Christian to be defeated. I have not come become a leader to be defeated. I have come to Christ because he not only holds my destiny, but he is my victory. Not only now, but until the very end. To them that overcome, no matter what happens in 2024, to them that overcome, because this year will bring you highs and lows, but to them that overcome, the scripture says. Because this longing, as I've said, is deep within us. And God knows this longing for this city. In Hebrews 11.8, it says the following about Abraham, one of the founders of our faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. And get ready for verse 10. For he, meaning Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Come on. God promised Abraham this place, Canaan. He promised him that his descendants would have it. And they've had the mantra now to destroy Israel from the, from the river to the sea. No, they've got the curse and the mantra all wrong. It is a blessing. God promised his people that he would give them the land from the river to the sea. But God's eternal plan is going to be even bigger. 
It's going to be even bigger. When you read about the dimensions of the city that God has been preparing, whose foundations, the very foundations of the street are made by the very gemstones that royalty wear on special occasions. The very streets themselves are paved with the very thing that we value, that our monetary value is set up against. That is what the streets are paved out of. What God is painting a picture of is everything that is significant for you and I. It doesn't matter to him because the greatness of his power and glory is beyond our comprehension. It is beyond compare. And Abraham got it. He got it right from the very beginning. Abraham dwelt in those tents. Abraham owned no land. He had no inheritance. He had no security at one point in his story he didn't even have an heir to carry on for him but Abraham believed God and that is what needs to be the defining marker of each and every one of us though that city lays in the distance you and I are preparing you and I are aware you and I act as people that are not just dwellers but we are pilgrims we are just passing through. We are just passing through. We are just passing through. Revelation 21 verse 2 shows us the beauty of the city that Abraham saw in the distance. Revelation 21.2 says, And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. This beautiful city, this beautiful paradise city that God has prepared. Like I said, we are not building up to it. God will bring it down to us. Wrapped and ready Pure and spotless, unadulterated, undefiled, sinless, deathless, sickless, everythingless that disturbs us. A place of wholeness, a place of safety, a place of security, a place of glory. That is where we're going. It's not only about the vision of Bethel, New England. That is pfft, nonsense. I love this church, I love you, I want to lead you with vision. But if we don't lead you with a vision that is biblical, if we don't lead you with a vision that is eternal, we have deceived you. We have deceived you. Man's attempts at everything, even scripturally, even the best pastors, leaders, and churches, we have seen them rise and fall, but Jesus still remains. The word of God still remains. The church still remains alive and well. And so Revelation through this city shows us three things that I do want to highlight for you that are important to us as Bethel, New England for the upcoming year. See, the new city that comes down as a bride from God to us, wrapped as a gift shows us something about God's eternal nature that you and I should grasp and that we as Bethel New England should grasp as well. The New Jerusalem paints a picture for us of a creative vision. 
a creative vision of what God has. Revelation 21, 10 through 12 say the following. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed upon the gates. It goes on to say in verse 19, The foundations of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper. The second is sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the next page, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of one single pearl. Each gate. There is a beautiful crown. I'm just going to take a cultural moment right here. The Netherlands is in possession of a beautiful crown that came over from Russia, from a queen called Anna Polona. She came to the Netherlands with one of the most beautiful tiaras with pearls that are about this big. They're huge. And they're all in the crown, and it is revered as one of the most precious crowns worn by the modern queen of the Netherlands, Queen Maxima. And every time she appears in it, people are like astounded because of the size of these pearls. The Bible is saying right now, you think that crown is nice? We've got 12 gates that are made from one single pearl. And I can just hear God saying, anything you can do, I can do better. God is a creative God. If he made all that we see and we are living in a flawed world, in a flawed creation, how much more beautiful will it be when all that he creates is untouched by the curse of sin? Our God is creative. He loves colors and spaces. He loves raw materials. He loves to build and make things that are not only indestructible, but he makes them aesthetically pleasing. They are beautiful. And we as a church, we can learn from these things. We make it seem like we don't know what heaven looks like. We make it seem like we don't know what God is about to do. I've heard people say that. Even growing up in the former denomination I was with, oh, they would, they would claim all the time, oh, no eye has seen and no ear has heard. All right, I'll stop there for just a moment. Let me go down my little rabbit trail, and then I'll come back to that one again. Hold that thought for just a second. I grew up going to the most boring church in all of humanity. There was no spiritual vigor, there was no life, there was no creativity. They were so afraid we were going to move our bodies that the microphones descended from the ceiling. They had to come like this. So, because if you move, that was fleshly. If you clap, that was fleshly. 
If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> and so there was no creativity. There was no lifeblood to that church. And when I went to the very first Pentecostal church, I was astounded. These people were creative. They not only danced in the spirit, but they made actual dances. They painted. They worked with colors. They had murals. They did just about everything. They built buildings. They created and developed programs. These people were a highly creative people. Some of them had no talents before they were saved, but then they prayed when they came believers and said, God, with your help, I want to learn how to play piano. God, with your help, teach me how to sing. And these people were imbued by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are many of you here at Bethel and watching online that God has given you giftings and abilities beyond your comprehension. But in 2024, I believe, and I said it last week, there is so much more. There is so much more creativity that God wants to unlock. I've challenged our staff. I've said, guys, look at your plans for the year, and I want you to look at them with a creative lens. I don't want boring anymore. There's nothing worse than being bored. There's nothing worse than a lack of originality. There's nothing worse than any of that. And I believe not only in the church world, but also in your regular lives. God wants to do a new thing. God wants to do a creative thing. And I want you to ask him, God, give me creative impulses. God, you're a creative God. Give me the impulse from heaven so that I can make beauty in a world that is ugly. God, give me creative impulses so that people can see reflections of the new Jerusalem in the midst of Babylon. Oh, but no eye has seen and no ear has heard. Wah, wah. Oh, wait, I forgot about Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. It says the following, But as it is written, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard, and what has never come into a man's heart, is what God has prepared for those who love him. But get ready for verse 10. Now God has revealed them to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. As a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, I am not in the unknown. I am not ignorant. I am privy to the secrets of God. I am privy to the treasures of God. I am privy to the things that are hidden. God reveals them to those that love him. See, Abraham, all the way back then, he didn't have a Jesus. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. But he saw a vision of the future. He saw what God had in store. And if Abraham got to see it, you bet your bottom dollar that you get to see it as well. And that motivates us. God is busy. God is up to something. He's making and moving and doing. God is creating. He's bringing life. He not only generates, but he regenerates. He makes things better than they were before. God is a highly imaginative and creative God. He's been a master artist since the beginning of time and will continue to be an artist throughout all 
of eternity. See, Babylon remains a failed human interpretation of heaven's appearance. But the new Jerusalem is a city beyond comprehension and understanding that will make all human beauty standards look absolutely ugly. The new Jerusalem shows us God is a creator. He's not an imitator. He's not a copycat. He's not a wannabe. He is the God who makes all things new. And I need that to be our prayer for today. God, use me to do a new thing. Come on. Come on. I need us to go there in 2024. God, I am sick of the same old, same old. God, I get up, I get dressed, I go to work. I get up, I get dressed, I go to school. God, I'm just doing the same old pattern. I'm cooking the same food. God, I'm saying the same thing. I don't know. Are you sick of you yet? And I want that to be our cry so much more in 2024. God, do new things through my life. God, surprise me. Surprise the people around me. Even in my church, do a new thing. I don't want to copy what that other church is doing. I don't even care what they're doing. God, I don't want to copy what the world is doing. Do a new thing through Bethel, New England. And God, here I am. Here I am. That's my prayer. Me, me, pick me. I want to be part of what you're doing. Let that be your cry. Pick me. The second thing in God's plan with the new Jerusalem is that it has a comprehensive vitality. Our God is alive and well. We used to sing as kids, God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. No, he is alive. I feel it in my hands. I feel it in my feet. I feel it in my whole body. And there's vitality in God. There's life-giving power. There is abundance in him. There is resurrection power. Even as our prayer team was praying this morning, they kept saying, Pastor, as we prayed, we saw it, it was almost like a catapult. God was launching us with breathtaking speed. God wants to catapult us with vitality into the new things that he has in store. But we can also deceive ourselves into thinking Well, I've been to church most of my life, and I've done many things, and, well, that's just for the younger people. Oh, no, 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 no. No one is exempt from what the Spirit of God desires to do right now in this moment. God does not care if you are 9 or 90 years old. There's this wonderful woman. She's since passed away. She lived to a hundred and something years old. I believe her name was Sister Blackwell, an Assemblies of God missionary. At 90 years old, she started and built a beautiful retreat center along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. At 90 years old. And guess what she said at her hundredth birthday? She said, I believe the better things of God are still to come. And I think that we need to have that gusto in us, that vitality in us that says, I am not trying to find this moment where I can retire. I am looking to be re-fired by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is never done. He's never done with you. He didn't create you for a rocking chair. Come on. 
He created you for the greater things that he desires to do. And looking at a new, younger generation, there is an aimlessness, a pointlessness in their lives, their meaning, their existence, and their identity is highly questionable. Why? Because the standards of life have been broken down. The standards of family have been broken down. Intergenerational relationships, they are non-existent at this point. Church is one of the only places where young and old can marinate with one another. And I believe that that is the vital plan of God. That we as Bethel, as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, understand that God desires to work through the whole body of Christ. Let's look at the scripture. It says it in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 4 through 5. Quoting from the message translation. And then these messages from God of the angel armies came to me. A message from God of the angel armies. He says, I am zealous for Zion. I care. I am angry about Zion. I am involved. God's message. I've come back to Zion. I've moved back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem's new name will be Truth City and Mountain of God of the angel armies and Mount Holiness. A message from the God of the angel armies. Old men and old women will come back to Jerusalem. Sit on its benches on the streets and spin tails. Move around safely with their canes. A good city to grow old in. And boys and girls will fill the public parks laughing and playing. A good city to grow up in. God paints the picture of what his city needs to look like. God's city is this multi-generational city where this playful attitude is imbued in everything they do. They love being together. They love serving together. They love building together. They love playing together. They just love doing life together. And I need us as Bethel, New England, to understand that this is God's plan. A multi-generational church is God's plan. It is a reflection of what he desires to do in eternity, bridging the gap between generations and imbuing it with love and with joy, with peace and with righteousness. Why does God do this? Because Babylon is a place of exile. Where if people, families, and believing communities are not attentive, it slowly robs families of their unity, people of their identity, and believers of their fidelity. That is why our citizenship as people and believers and families needs to be in the new Jerusalem. That is why Paul writes, your citizenship is in heaven. Why does he say that? He says it because that is what helps us march on. That is what leads us forward. And so we as a body at b &E, we must strive to keep together. 
We must remember who we are in Christ, and we must be willing to overcome until the very end. So if there are only three things that you get to go home with today, please print these in your head. It must be our obligation to stay together as one body. We live in a generation, people hop from place to place to place to place. Guess what? The grass is never greener. And if you are the problem, guess what you're doing? You're bringing your problem from one place to another. There are people in the past, and I'm not, there are people that left Bethel and they left for wonderful reasons. They left kindly, they told me their reasoning, and they are still thriving in the new place that they are in. But there are others that have left here, and they left embittered, angry, and with all kinds of issues, and guess what they did? They brought it right to the next church. I'm calling their pastor, and their pastor is saying to me, oh, when they walked in the door, in the beginning, they were such a blessing. They loved my sermon. They loved the worship. They loved the church. They were so helpful. And then six months to a year later, they're already submitting letters. I'm leaving. That has become the earmark of the society we live in. That is Babylon. Babylon hands in the letter. Babylon says I'm done. Babylon says I'm not willing to forgive. Babylon says I'm not willing to overcome my hurts. That is what Babylon looks like. And as I said, there's healthy ways of moving about. Don't get me wrong. This is a church, not a cult. I say it all the time. We must strive to keep together. We must remember who we are in Christ and we must overcome until the end. Today, in order to strengthen that sense of involvement, Pastor Maria has a great team that will be in the foyer in just a few minutes. And they'll represent the different ministries of Bethel. And we have everyone signing up from young to old. The youth already signed up last week. There are about 12 sign-ups. And Pastor Maria is looking to add to that so that we reach a total number of 75. Why are we pushing volunteerism? It is not volunteerism we're pushing. We are pushing what it means to be a biblical community with one another. The church that works together and prays together stays together. How do you form friendships within the body? By getting involved. A pew warmer never gets involved. It's like a person who sits in the bleachers during an athletic competition and says, oh, they never invite me to play the game. You are sitting in the wrong seats. It's time to change the seats. As the ushers come around today and the pastors, they have a piece of paper for you that you can fill out. We'll also make it available online for those that are not here today. We'd like you to take a look at this and identify the God-given talents and desires that God has given you. And we believe that God wants to take those things and then use it from young to old to create a community here at Bethel, New England that thrives under the presence of the Holy Spirit. After the service, you'll be able to take this filled-in form and hand it in, and we have a very special bell. When you fill the form in and place it in the little bucket that it needs to go into, you get to ring the bell. And the bell is going to let us all know that, no, there's not only a new name written down in glory. There is someone else that has said, God, I want to take my talents and abilities, and I want to use them for the glory of God.
Because God wants to use each and every one of you. And then lastly this morning, the new Jerusalem represents for us a cultivated vigor. Revelation 22, 12 through 15, it says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat at the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. Oh, I'm getting ready to leave this world. I'm getting ready for those gates of pearls. Come on. Keeping my garments white. Watching both day and night. I'm getting ready to leave this world. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers. The sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be aware we just can't keep going along with Babylon's system. We need to come out from among them and be holy. We need to be ready for what God is doing. We need to let holiness become the standard that we live by. And when we feel that we are not holy, we should not wallow in our unholiness and feel that we are unworthy. The God of the Bible, all the way from the time of Moses, when he revealed himself as the great I am, Moses said, I am not worthy. God said, buddy, take off the sandals and come. Come near. Come near. Peter felt unworthy when he saw Jesus for the first time. He said, woe is me. Jesus said, Peter, come, follow me. We need to stop looking at the kingdom of God in light of whether we are worthy or not. It is not about your feeling of worthiness that makes you part of what God is doing. God is looking for men and women, youth and children that are willing to get over themselves and say, God, I can be all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it all. I can be it all because you are the very source behind me. We need a church of people willing to be people without spot or wrinkle. People whose proverbial robes are washed clean. In treating the church and the things of God like they are participatory, we have created two church generations of spectators. We must regain our spiritual vigor and a call to duty as true disciples of Christ, being formed into his image and ready for his return. Why do I say all that? After 20 plus years of being in the ministry, I am sick of being a pastor or a leader to people who want to go nowhere. Pastor, don't tell me anything, don't show me anything, don't teach me anything, don't show me from the Bible, don't pray for me, don't do this for me, but keep hearing me out as I'm going through the same struggle 30 years later. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I don't have rocks for brains. Come on. Oh, well, pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know all of our lives. 
You don't know what we've all been through. You don't know the struggles I've seen. That was a great song. Nobody knows the struggles I've seen. We've all had our share of struggles, but it is an internal, intentional choice to let the life-giving power of God come into every situation we go through. God doesn't mind your highs and lows. He is just saying, invite me into those moments. And I've given the pastors a challenge for this year. And it's not to separate people in the church. We, we will pour into everyone. We will love on everyone. I said, but I need this year. I need all of us to get in touch with about five people. Five people per pastor that are willing to say, for one year, I want to be trained. I want to be formed. I want to be trained and I want to be formed. I want to be trained and I want to be formed. Why? For the greater cause of the kingdom of God, but also for the building up of the local body here at BNE. And so I'm not going to wait around waiting for people that might be ready and might not be ready. I want people to say, I am ready. Pastor, I want to be formed. I want to be trained. Hello, I'm reporting for duty. I am full of vigor, and I spiritually want to go for it in 2024 like never before. Amen. Oh, good. As you say that, get ready. It's going to cost you something because you're going to learn to pray like you've never prayed before. You're going to learn to give until it hurts. You're going to learn to be creative even when you don't feel like one creative cell is left in your brain. And I am looking for people that willfully say, yes, pastor, sign me up. We'll unfold more of this in the upcoming year. Even with life teachings, Pastor Maria is crafting a beautiful life teaching for the spring that has to do with what does it mean to truly be a disciple of Jesus and what does it mean to be a disciple maker? Because Jesus said it. Go and make disciples of all nations. But there's very little written on the true discipleship. How? What? When? Where? Why? But thank God that the Bible shows us already. Why are we edging in this direction in 2024? Because I believe that I am more than a conqueror. I believe that I am an overcomer. And if I believe that for me, I certainly believe it for you. God has given me an awful default setting. Do you want to know what it is? Most people look at other people and see the bad in them and think they're stupid. I hear what people say sometimes. I have a really weird internal thing. Whenever I meet and see new people, I think the best of them. I believe in them. I hone in on their giftings right away. And they'll say all the time, no one else has ever seen that in me. No, they haven't. But God has placed it in you. And I want us to realize that each of us has value. We are conquerors and we are overcomers. And so Revelation leaves us with one final thought. And Revelation 3.12, and I'll close so that we can move on to what's happening in the foyer in just a moment. It says, And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name.
I will make them pillars in my temple. Well, he wrote the names of the tribes on the gates. He wrote the names of the 12 apostles on the foundations. But for us, we have a place in that building picture. And God's architectural design, he didn't forget you and I. It's not just about the 12 tribes of Israel. It's not just about the original 12 apostles that followed him. God's master plan design includes you. He wants you to be a pillar in his temple. I said it last week and I'll say it again. So much more in 2024. So much more. This morning, as we just close our eyes for a moment and pray, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because the moves and the movement that we need to make is not our own movement. It is a God-motivated movement within us. Unless God builds, we build in vain. Unless God watches over, we, we watch over it in vain. But we believe in 2024 that God wants to unleash a creativity like we've never known before. We believe in 2024 God wants to strengthen the intergenerational connections through body ministry like never before. We believe in 2024 that God wants people that are willing to be formed and discipled like never before. Because it's a representation of the new Jerusalem. And so this morning, if that is your commitment for 2024, God Not only make me a pillar in the New Jerusalem, but God, make me a pillar right here at Bethel, New England. I want you to stand. If that is your desire, God, make me a pillar. God, make me a pillar, not only in eternity, but right now where I'm standing. Make me a pillar in this house. God, whatever that looks like and whatever that means for my life, I lift my hands to heaven. I lift my hands to heaven. Because when I look at this building, I'm looking at a building and a structure that was made. And every Sunday when I drive my car with its rubbery wheels and I drive on asphalt and I come to a building made of wood and some steel, I am not coming just to that. But as the book of Hebrews says, I am coming to the new Jerusalem where there are thousands and thousands of angels and joyful assembly where the saints of old have gathered. I come to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. I come to the city whose builder and maker is God. And I come to be a pillar in the house of God. God, take my life. God, take my being, take all of me, and let me be a pillar in your house. God, use me. For those that are watching online, lift your hand wherever you are. God, use me. Let me be a pillar. Let me be a pillar in society. Let me be a pillar in BNE. And God, let me endure to the end. Let me be a pillar in the temple of God for all eternity. I pledge my life to you. Lord Jesus, you make all things new. Fill us, Lord. Fill us to overflowing. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but God has revealed all these things by His Spirit. Ask Him today, God, fill me. 
Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me what I've never seen before. God, let me see things from a godly perspective. God, let me see things from the perspective of heaven. God, I don't want to just labor to labor. God, I want intentionality. God, I want eternity built in to the fabric of what I do, no longer the mundane. God, use me. God, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. God, do a new thing. Do a new thing in my life. That's our prayer. God, seal it for this year. We ask you this. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Make sure you share this message with a friend or family member to encourage them today. Head to BethelNE.com to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel New England.